And this to me was the biggest factor behind the financial crisis. You know, I always joke, you know, people say, for example, the financial crisis, oh, you know, that was the result of greed. And I always say that's a little bit like saying, you know, if there's an airplane crash, that's like sending someone out who comes back and reports, oh yeah, the airplane crashed because, because of, of gravity. Gra- because of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. Which, so it's, the, the answer is, yeah, greed is always there, just like gravity is always there. The question you have to ask yourself is, why does greed run wild sometimes? Right. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, it's Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my ray of truth, the beautiful Raylene Lightheart. Raylene, how are you? I am great, thank you. How are you, Johnny? I am doing wonderful. Wonderful day so far. It's hot, it's muggy, it's hot. Did I mention it's hot? It's terrible. Actually, you know what? I hate this weather. I really do. I know you do. I know you do. You know, it's, it's so funny. funny. What's hilarious is you have all these people who work inside in their air conditioning. They're like, oh, it's beautiful out. I love it. I love this weather. And I'm outside going, this sucks. They wouldn't be saying this if they were like outside all day. So, I mean, it just gets old really quick. I would have traded you for today because my kids are sick today. So, and as anybody who stays home with their kids when they're sick, they know it's not fun. Oh, no. So, it, this is my break. I'm very excited. I know. You get to get away and get out of the house for a while and Justin gets to watch the kids. That's right. That's right. He's a good guy. It's a win-win for everybody. So, Raylene, you know what? I'm excited about our guest. I know. You know why? Because we normally, like we say on the show, we we normally haven't really had any libertarian local candidates. We've had Kimberly Ruff on our last show, which was awesome, and Kimberly's great. Uh, but normally, we don't normally have like local people running for libertarian positions around the world. Yeah. And around the country. And uh, I figured, you know what? I think this would be a great opportunity to start helping the Libertarian Party on all, all, in all the states, not only Washington state, but Colorado. And Colorado's a very libertarian leaning state in the United States. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. You're like a McDonald's commercial. Oh. <laughs> Colorado, I think it might be better for you than McDonald's. Um, there that's you go. what they've been doing. So I can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah. Okay. So you're ready for our guest? Yes, I am. Roger Barris was born and raised near Detroit, Michigan. He studied economics and finance at leading schools in both U.S. and Europe and graduated with the highest possible honors. Roger then began a roughly 30-year career in business, primarily as an investor and fund manager in real estate for some more of the most sophisticated employers and clients in the world. Groups that Roger led invested more than $20 billion over his career and never had a losing year, including during the financial crisis, which Roger anticipated. Roger finished his career by co-founding a fund management business, which he sold in 2015. Roger is now retired, although he still advises a couple of firms and is active angel investor in startups. Roger's professional and personal lives have led him to multiple foreign countries, such as Japan, France, the UK, and Switzerland, and to invest in about a dozen more. This has given Roger direct knowledge of the policies around the world that work, as in Switzerland, or don't, as in France. Roger has been a libertarian since the age of 17, where he's read David Friedman's The Machinery of Freedom. Roger first ran for the LP in 1982 at the tender age of 23, 
and Roger's a lifetime member of the LP and a member of the board of directors of the Colorado LP. Roger is running a full-time and well-funded campaign for the U.S. House of Representatives for District 2 of Colorado. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Roger Barry! Here today, gone tomorrow. Filled with happiness, very excited. Roger, how you doing, buddy? Hi. Right, what can I say? I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> oh man! Well, thank you so much for being here on the show, man. And you got yourself into a lot of trouble for coming on. I'll tell you that right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, Roger, thank you so much again. Uh, you're in Colorado, and uh, we have a hour difference, I think, in our time zones. But uh, again, it, it, it's cool to have you on. And I've heard a lot of good things about you. A lot of people in libertarian circles have mentioned your name. So uh, Lance wasn't the first guy who had mentioned you to me. So I guess I'm going to start off with the obvious question. Why do you want to run for office? I mean, <laughs> who wants to do that? And uh, what are some of the things you, you think you can offer people in Colorado? Yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's, 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 it's an obvious question. First off, the biggest reason I want to run for office or one of the major reasons I want to run for office is I've always, I've always been fascinated by policy. So I actually like this stuff. So, you know, strange as it may sound to me, it's a bit of a hobby, but the other reason I want to run for office is I think, you know, I think we have a, I think, I think we have a great opportunity, even, uh, even if we don't win, I think we have a great opportunity really in three different ways. Number one, is I think if we start to demonstrate to people that the Libertarian Party can be successful electorally. So, for example, you, as you know, we had uh, Laura Epke up in Nebraska who changed from a from an R to That's an right. L. And Laura is just a exact. She's just a great person. She's doing a great job, etc. I think that there are a lot of other people in both the you know Republicans and also to a lesser extent in the Democrats who are also thinking about making the transition because let's face it, the Democrats and Republicans have always been bad, but they have never been worse than they are now. Oh yeah, I mean, you know tr- Trump. Trump has driven the Republicans crazy in one direction, and the reaction of the Democrats has been go crazy in the other direction. Sure. So I, so I think if we can demonstrate to uh, existing politicians that you can do well electorally, you know, as a libertarian, I think there's a good chance that we get more people like Laura Epke moving over. That's number one. Number two is, as you know, there's just a ton of people who are in Silicon Valley, who are on Wall Street, who are in, uh, you know, in Hollywood for that matter, who really are libertarians. But for years, they've kind of said to themselves, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to piss my money down the drain investing in a libertarian party that has no electoral possibilities. So again, if we can demonstrate to them that we can do well electorally, then we can start getting some money flowing and that's going to help the party tremendously. And the last thing is uh, if we can start doing well electorally, you know, then the media and the pollsters will no longer be able to ignore us. And I think that we've got some great candidates this year. I mean, take a look at what Larry Sharp is doing over in New York. I mean, he's out. Right. Yeah. He's outraised any of the Republicans. I think you know Nick Sarwar could do very well down in uh, down in um, uh, Phoenix. In your back in your backyard, Matt Dubin is running a great uh, campaign back in Seattle, etc. 
So I think we I think we have some candidates this year which are you know of the quality of our ideas, and I think we can start doing some exciting stuff. Right on, wow. right on, man. Colorado has had some really big libertarian wins in the last few years, and um, I, I know I reported it on LPWA. Uh, Facebook and, and things like that about the uh, concealed carry without a permit. That's one of the things that's been happening. Amazing. What is the Liberty movement like in Colorado? And do you foresee a West Coast version of like the Free State Project happening there? Well, I mean, I mean, we we in Colorado would never call ourselves West Coasters, as you know. As a matter of fact, I always I always jokingly say that the only wall I want to build is between us and California. That's true. <laughs> but the, those commie uh, bastards. The, uh, in California, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, you know, we have to. We're we're all deadly afraid of becoming East California here. But in any event, no. The the Liberty Movement is, and this is actually one of the reasons. As you, as you know, um, I actually was living in Europe until last November, and so I when I I knew I would always come back to the states, but I had to decide where I would come back. And one of the big reasons I chose Colorado was because the Liberty Movement is so strong in the state, as you know. You know, the Libertarian Party was founded in Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the best uh, some of the best electoral results we've had have been in Colorado. As you know, Colorado was the first state to legalize both medical, uh, maybe not medical, but certainly recreational right. marijuana, yeah. Yeah. et cetera. I think Seattle was number two. Yeah, so we got number two. We got number two, man. You, you guys, you know, you guys are always a little bit that, slow. What can that's I, fine. That's fine. So, yeah. we're, we're in People's <laughs> Republic of Seattle. Only we remember who came in second, that's right. Johnny. That's right. Exactly. So uh, it's very strong, and it's really, you know, you know, frankly, it's part of the entire, you know, feeling of being out west. You know, I mean, the west has always been much more libertarian than the east, etc. And you know, there, a lot of that still lingers, and that's actually part of the reason why I'm running as well, is because I want to fight. You know, that's the Colorado I came back to, and I want to fight to keep it that way. Right on, man. So you talk about restoring the American dream on your website, and that would be BarrisForCongress.com. You could check him out at BarrisForCongress. I figured that was a good opportunity to plug your website. Uh, but you, you talk about restoring the American dream. Does that have a correlation to free markets, and what steps will you take to try and ensure our freedoms? Yeah, no, it, 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 it's definitely correlated to free markets. And, you know, what I always, the other thing, Johnny, is that I always say, you know, my campaign motto is freedom works. Right. Because I, I feel that for too long in the Libertarian uh, Party, we have been a debating society. And we feel like we, we feel like what we have to go out there is win, you know, philosophical debating points. Now, I believe in philosophy. I believe in the Constitution. But on the other hand, for the 99 or, you know, 95% of the world that isn't like us, what these people want to know is that can you make my life better? So I am very focused on showing people how libertarian policies will make their life better. So, for example, your reference to the uh, to the uh, restoring the American dream. If you think about what is crushing the middle class in America now, it's really three things. Number one is the cost of sending their children to college. Number two is the cost of health care, and number three is the cost of housing. Right, and all three of those areas, as you know very well, and we can go into it in greater detail as you if you would like, but all three of those areas have been the object of massive government interventions, sure. which are directly responsible for the cost inflation, which is crushing the middle class. Sure. So what I want to show people is, look, this is by, by going to free markets in all three of those areas, I, will, I believe that we can relieve a lot of the cost pressure that is absolutely crushing 
protecting the middle class. Yeah, it's like uh, you have a business or you want to build a building for people to live in, right? But then you have all these regulations in which you have to have this room at this height and you have to have ceilings this tall and you have to have an inspector and you have all these regulations which causes your prices to go up. And by the time the whole thing is done, you have to have union members who work at your building. You have to hire them because it's illegal not to hire a union, uh, a person working for the union. So now you got union members, so their wages are artificially inflated, and you have regulations, and then you have delays on top of that because somebody could come in there and say, well, this isn't done right, the electrical's wrong. So then you have to rewire everything. So at the end of the day, instead of renting uh, an apartment for $700 a month, you have to kick it up to about 1500 yeah, so. no, absolutely, absolutely, and I mean, take a take a look at California. California is because the one thing you those regulations make it much more expensive as well uh, to to build a house. Sure, but probably the biggest thing which you didn't mention is just all of the crazy restrictions on how much housing you can build. Oh yeah, yes, zoning. Zoning is, yep. you know, I think, for example, I think in San Francisco, where the prices, as you know, are absolutely insane, something like the city of San Francisco, 75% of the city has to be single family, one or two story housing. I'm sorry, this is a major city. I mean, that type of density is just inappropriate. Right. And then what, you know, as, as is always the case, you know, the politicians always, you know, break your leg and then, you know, want to be rewarded for giving you a pair of crutches. The, uh, you know, in California, they have crazy rent prices. And then one of their senators recently, Kamala Harris, who is no, you know, who is no genius by any mean, basically said, basically proposed a, uh, a, a program that Californians would be able to deduct their rent from their, uh, from their federal income tax. So in other words, we have adopted policies which artificially inflate the cost of living in California, and we want the rest of the country to help us pay for it. That's it's right. insanity. It's stupid. Absolutely. I love what you're talking about with these subsidies, and, and I've seen um, where you are on the issues, and I'm, I'm really liking it. Everything you're talking about is related to protectionism and cronyism. When you're talking to uh, people, potential voters, how do you tell them, like, what do you tell them about what you're going to do about cronyism and protectionism? Well, I think the biggest argument, and and we get, you know, we get questions quite a bit in, uh, you know, people are always talking about money and politics, right? And my response to money and politics is always pretty straightforward, which is, you know, is, which is the Internal Revenue Service or the IRS code has 80,000 pages, all right. The federal registry, which is where all the federal registr- uh, regulations are marked down, has 76,000 pages. And what I always tell people is that, look, on one of those pages, there's rule 10B5 little I3. And I have no idea what rule 10B5 little I3 says. It sounds nobody, important, though. It no, sounds really it important. It sounds very important. <laughs> you know, nobody <laughs> else knows what rule right. 10B5 except I assure you that there are a special interest, a company, a union or something who knows very well what rule 10B5 little I3 says. Sure. And they make absolutely sure that that rule reads the way they want. 
And what I tell people is like, look, as long as we have 80,000 pages, you know, each rule of which affects us by pennies, which is worth millions to a particular special interest, then guess what? It's always going to be this way. And the only way to get rid of that type of cronyism is to get rid of the pages. So, you know, the, you know, as I think, as I think Ron Paul always used to say, you want to get the money out of politics, then get the politics out of money. Yeah. That's the no. only. Yeah. Yeah, man. And here's the thing, though, too. It's like here in Seattle, you know, like the same thing is going on with like California, you know, where all these housing is very expensive if you want to live downtown. But there's such a demand for it. So people are willing to pay ridiculous prices. So now you have the the state or the actually the city who is wanting to implement uh, rent controls. Right. Right. So that you can't charge somebody over a certain amount. Well, then you take the incentive of anyone building or wanting to build a more apartments there. Yes. So really, I mean, so they're causing the problem, but yet saying it's the free market or it's capitalism that's causing it. No, it's not. It's also classism too. I mean, they, they won't even put in mixed use zoning so people can't have businesses in the same places they have their apartments and all that kind of stuff. Well, too. sure, that goes without saying, but like, I'm just saying like overall, I'm just saying that, that yeah, they want to put rent controls in and yet, so who's going to want to build an apartment in Seattle? Yeah. Nobody. No, and then they're like, why is there homelessness? Well, because first of all, nobody wants to actually build there. So now you only have us X amount of housing for X amount of people. And those people are biting, you know, now the prices are going up and up and up in certain areas, maybe, you know, with rent control, but I don't know. That's just my thing. I know. Look at your, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like a huge movie buff. And one of my, one of my favorite movies is the big sleep with Humphrey Bogart. And he's got one line in there where one character basically says, you know, you, you kicked my teeth out and you kicked my teeth out and then you yelled at me for mumbling. And that's what the government does all the time. The government kicks the market's teeth out. And then, and this is the worst thing as all, because this is the way the government rolls, basically. You know, they kick, they destroy the market, and then they pretend like the only solution for, you know, for big government is more government. That's right. And this is, and this is what we absolutely have to resist. I agree. We have to, and you know, like the idea of imposing rent controls, it's like, Jesus, people, you know, don't you realize that this has only been done a thousand times before? Because that's the other amusing thing is these people who call themselves progressives are actually the most regressive of anybody on the planet. You know, they are rehashing things that have been disproven for the last 40 years. It's uh, it's incredible. But Roger, we haven't tried real socialism, right? Oh, that's true. (laughs) We haven't tried real socialism. That's just like kind of a blend of capitalism. And so we haven't, we haven't tried democratic socialism. See, if we try democratic socialism, it would work. You, that's what the, that's what I heard. We're down the street. I could be uh, wrong. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, good point, John. I mean, because <laughs> I, I mean, no, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, uh, as, as the old saying goes, uh, you know what the difference between a socialist and a fascist is, is that a, a fascist never says, well, the problem is that real fascism has never tried. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, these it's it's incredible how they how these things people never learn. I mean, it's it's not a, you know there's there has there's plenty of evidence for all these things. And Seattle is uh, I don't know how are you guys actually in Seattle because I don't know how you tolerate it. Oh I mean, no, I, I, well I okay. we're we're right on the fringe. I'll just tell, I'll just say that I'm not we're right <laughs> on the fringe. So we're yeah. not downtown. And I used to live downtown. I move, but I'm on the fringe. So I'm about a jump, skip, and a hop. 
Okay. Yeah. Because, a little too because, close. A little too close. How's that? Because it's truly the People's Republic. And that's, the, you know, but that's the other thing I always say, too, because another big theme of my campaign is the 10th Amendment. Uh-huh. Right. And I and I think if we have a really strong focus on the 10th Amendment, really have a strong focus on pushing government to the lowest level possible, mm-hmm. it has all kinds of advantages. Number one is that, you know, it, it improves accountability. Number two is uh, it makes it possible for different states to experiment with different things and the rest of us can watch them and then adopt it if it makes sense. You know, it yeah. also it also forces the states and, and cities to compete against each other so that they actually have to compete for government services and the taxes they charge. But the last thing is, and perhaps the most important, is that you know, instead of trying to everyone to try to use Washington to impose a one size fits all policy on everybody, I always say, you know what, if the People's Republic of Seattle wants to go out and, you know, and do something crazy, God bless, go, you know, it'll be an excellent bad example for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like, as long as it's voluntary. So like, that, I don't care if you have a, if you want to have a socialist commune, Right. By all means, and you want to break off in your own little country and create your own little country, have at it. Please do it. And we'll use you as an example because you suck. And you're going to ask, <laughs> well, we need some stores here. And I'm like, exactly. You have no incentive. You have no incentive to work. I've never heard anybody explain nullification as competition between the different states the way you just did. That's really cool. I know. I think, uh, you know, part of it is because I, I, one of the places I lived was Switzerland. And that's really, the, and, and, and I don't know if you guys have been to Switzerland, but I'm sure you know that it's just a breathtakingly efficient place. And it took me a little while to realize well, one of the reasons for it is that every, you know, basically here in America, we, we collect and spend about 75% of the taxes at the federal level. And then we collect and spend maybe 25% of the taxes at the state level. Switzerland is the reverse. So most of the money is collected and spent at the local level. And so every, the equivalent of every Swiss state feels like it is an active competition against every other Swiss state. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and they, and they act that way and they realize that if they tax too much or if they do a really job, they're going to lose people, they're going to lose businesses, et cetera. And, you know, competition is the magic elixir in both the private market and also the public markets. This is why I'm so, you know, I'm so insistent on competition by pushing government down to the lowest level possible and also by things like school choice. We need competition. When I was young, it was a talk of the time. He used to love at me and didn't want me around. Americans should celebrate the individual, which us as libertarians 100% agree with that. But has big government created this divisiveness in our culture, in our society? And how so? Absolutely. Again, you know, that is my, you know, I, I mentioned before that my campaign motto is freedom works, but my three campaign promises are, are basically end the wars. We'll come back to that, you know, cut taxes and spending. But the last one is I want a federal government so small that we don't have to fight over it anymore. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, we are, if we're, we, when, when we live in an environment 
where every Supreme Court nominee nomination is a declaration of war, that's something fundamentally wrong. You know, frankly, we should live in a world where we shouldn't have to care who's on the Supreme Court. It should have so little influence in our life that it should be a matter of indifference to us. But the problem is that we have weaponized the federal government. And therefore, both sides have to fight like cats and dogs over who controls it. So we got to shrink the government massively, maximize individual freedom, you know, and then and then also to the extent that we do have government, make it as local as possible instead of creating this behemoth in Washington that we all have to fight like mad to control. Sure. And here's the thing. I really do you have anything? I'm I'm not trying to cut you off. Uh, I You know, I have a question that's off topic. So go for it. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just saying that if we could just ignore all the, if we get everyone in our states to ignore the federal government, that's a huge win because then they would absolutely have no power whatsoever over us. Especially simultaneously in conjunction. Yeah, yeah. If we Everybody. all, if it, like everyone, V for Vendetta style, let's just yeah, do this. Just ignore it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Oh, no, that's illegal. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, as long as you're not hurting anyone's life, liberty, or property, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you have victimless crimes, right? So if, if everyone just stopped, just stop, just ignore it. I don't care. I'm not paying my taxes. Nope. Ain't going to do it. If everyone did it, they couldn't enforce it. True. That's the thing. That's the thing. So I encourage everyone to stop paying their taxes. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like universally. They can't come after everyone. They can't do it. And I mean, I think that's the best way to do it is nullify it. That's how you do yeah. it. Nullify Man, if, it. I, if I could trust my neighbors to not be status and, and cave, I would be so in. But I, <laughs> yeah, just don't do it. Mean? Don't cave. Everyone okay. universally just stop. Don't obey. Just stop. And then that's yeah. how we that's how we get to a free society, I believe. What do you have to think about that? I mean, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, effectively, that's what we've done here in Colorado with uh, marijuana, right? Because marijuana right. is, you know, with, with cannabis is still illegal at the federal yes. level. And we just, uh, we basically just ignore it. And then we dare Jeff Sessions, who, you know, who is probably the biggest idiot in the current administration <laughs> to, to come, to come, to come and do something about it, you know? Oh, and yeah. Yeah. Jeff Sessions long- is a. I think he's he's actually, that is actually derogatory to. I mean, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. Yes. That is good. I like it. He's much worse than that. He is, you know, I mean, I always say you got to try, you got to take the Trump administration a la carte. There's some good stuff there. There's some, you know, there's a lot of not good stuff, but Jeff Sessions is probably the worst of all. The very worst. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely bad, bad stuff. So where would we start aside from marijuana? What do you what do you think people should start with with nullification? Uh, that's a good question. I think you know a lot of well, you know, I don't know if nullification is the right word, but you know, there's a lot of interesting work that's being done state level in general about the entire you know about the entire legal system and uh, and criminal justice reform. And, you know, and again, this is one of the one of the problems I have as a candidate is because I actually have read the Constitution and Uh I have. And so I'm getting all I get a lot of questions where my answer, my real answer to them is like, well, you do understand that has nothing to do with the federal government. Right. Right. But, you know, but so uh, but. Uh, and and obviously most of the law is at the state level, but but we have so many horrible things in our criminal justice system. So, for example, on my Facebook page uh, tomorrow morning, I'm just posting something about the fact that, you know, prosecutors basically have immunity, so they can invent 
you know, they can they can put forward uh, expert witnesses, which they know actually don't know what they're talking about. They can invent, uh, they can deny, uh, they can keep back information that would actually be exculpatory and get people out of crimes. You know, they can uh, they can uh, uh, harass and bully defendants, all the rest of this stuff. And there's basically no recourse against these people. Um, and now that's something that New York is finally saying, wait a minute, this is crazy. We have to, we have to have some accountability here. You yeah. know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, they're, they're trying to roll back a lot of the uh, minimum sentences, uh, sentencing guidelines. You know, one of the most horrifying things, for example, is, I don't know if you know this, but something like 95% of all crimes don't go to trial. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, so, the, uh. so, so the jury system, which is actually part of our constitution is more or less completely disappeared in our country. And part of the reason for that is because the DAs have a huge amount of power and they can put people, you know, there's all kinds of cases of people who have admitted guilt, who have been found to be innocent subsequent with DNA evidence, but the DAs put them under so much pressure that they stay to themselves, geez, I have to admit I'm guilty. Right. So- all of this stuff, uh, you know, another thing is cash bail. You know, there, there are people who basically admit they're guilty because, you know, they can't, they can't afford to just to wait in prison, lose their job, lose their relationships, lose their home because they can't, uh, you know, they can't make up the cash bail. So, you know, a lot of those movements are all being challenged at the state level. It's not really nullification, but it's a very good thing. Oh, it's in the same vein. I love it. Oh, yeah. And so, like, here's the thing, though, too. If you commit a crime, like, I don't know, you hit someone's house with your car, right? If there is a court, if if it's public or private, whatever situation we're going to be talking about, but regardless, if it goes to a court, right, the only thing that should happen is the judge or the jury in that courtroom should vote whether that person's guilty or not. So if I ran my, my car into someone's house, I would have to pay them restitution, Right. Why am I paying the state rested? Why am I paying the state first and then the victim second? Right. See, yeah. that wow. is that is justice. Like when you have to pay them reparations. No, why, yeah. Right. So why is why why are we paying the state for something that's it's no? I, but first off, Johnny, I assume that you're asking this for a friend. This has nothing to do with you. No, I've ne- I've never <laughs> ran my car into a house. No, I haven't. I'm just I was just making up an example. No, I I, I, I'm just kidding. No, but you're right. You know, really, it harkens back. You know, to the primitive notion uh, uh, back in England when you know you are disturbed. So, you know, by disturbing the king's peace, you not only owe restitution to the person you've actually harmed, but in some sense you have, you know, you have injured the state. And, and you know, as libertarians, we all cry bull- on that. It bull- has nothing to yes. do yes. with the state. Yeah, you've damaged a person. You, you, should, uh, you should compensate that. Uh, uh, but, uh, but the idea that the state has any interest in that completely private affair agreement with you that that uh, you know that your case uh, your hypothetical case of driving a car into somebody's house has absolutely nothing to do with the government absolutely and that, and that uh, you know you you owe compensation to the person you've damaged but uh, but the government has absolutely no interest and uh, and shouldn't be involved right so, on right on very cool I have a question for you as someone who grew up in Detroit how does it feel to see it destroyed by socialist policies over regulation and you know everything that's happened there Ooh, good question yeah i mean 
it's, uh, it's uh, you know, for example, for years, I mean, one of the things that happened to Detroit was that, as you know, and this goes back to my to my youth, is that the, uh, the, uh, the United Auto Workers were incredibly powerful. And I can remember even as a small child, you know, hearing about unions all the time. And one of the consequences of that was that, you know, for a while, for a while, they were able to get very high compensation for the uh, for the employees who worked for the automobile company. So you could you could make a hundred thousand dollars, probably even back then. You could make a hundred you could make a hundred thousand dollars, you know, putting you know wheels on a car on the assembly and everything else. Now you say, well, that's you know that's a good thing, but of course. What you don't realize is that for every person making $100,000 doing that on the line, there were three people who would have happily had a, a good job who were basically excluded by the union. So even back then, it was a bad idea. But one of the long-term consequences of that is that we never really developed, first off, we never developed other industries. And we also never developed a culture where we had a very well-educated edu- workforce because, I mean, why bother to become well-educated when you can go down and if you're lucky enough to get a job at Ford, you know, the, then you're set for life. Um, and so that's one of the things that we've seen in Detroit. And I think one of the reasons I'm pretty pessimistic about Detroit long-term is that um, you know the, the the places in the world which have which have you know were which have come back after a period of industrial decline generally have a couple of characteristics and one of the characteristics is you know they had a very well educated workforce I mean for example Boston which was uh, which used to be kind of a textile center etc mm-hmm. went into massive decline but it had some great schools but Detroit doesn't really have that. So um, so that's one of the reasons I'm pessimistic about Detroit long term is because, you know, through a combination of unions and tariff restrictions on foreign cars, because those two things worked together, right? Right. You know, we, we had to keep the foreign cars out. We had a very strong unions, et cetera. You know, for a little while that allowed Detroit to get fat and lazy that's exactly what happened. And now we are paying the price of those years of being fat and lazy. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my baby's gone away. I'm on the crowd. I love him too straight. I watched too long. How the you spell? Get out of my way. create a foundation for your current libertarian ideology. Oh, yeah. To help to help strengthen it. So, I mean, I think that most libertarians need to have some basic understanding of economics for them to be a pretty well-rounded libertarian. I look at I'm I love economics. I always say that if you start off being an economic uh, if you start off being a libertarian and then if you studied economic if you study economics, you just become more libertarian. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you yeah. do. So, and it's like the bedrock, right? Now, I'm assuming you come from the Chicago school. You're more of a Milton Friedman kind of guy. 
Yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm a bit more of a Milton Friedman type of guy. I think that the you know as opposed to an to an Austrian school type of guy, but conversely, I do think that the Austrian school has one very important uh, observation and something that I have seen in my life, you know, and and uh, uh, take effect directly, mm-hmm. and that is you know by by artificially depressing interest rates. Right. The Federal Reserve generates all kinds of bad behavior, uh-huh. and this and this to me was the biggest factor be, behind the financial crisis. You know, I always joke. You know, people say, for example, the financial crisis. Oh, you know, that's that uh, is the that was the result of greed. And I always say that's a little bit like saying, you know, if there's an airplane crash, that's like sending someone out who comes back and reports, oh, yeah, the airplane crashed because, because of, of gravity. Gra- because of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. Which, so it's, the, the answer is, yeah, greed is always there, just like gravity is always there. The question you have to ask yourself is, why does greed run wild sometimes? Right. And the biggest reason greed runs wild, in my experience, and I've seen this happen a thousand times, I think is happening right now as well is because basically the federal reserve keeps interest rates so artificially low that investors who would normally be prudent and reasonable are basically forced to right. do crazy right. stuff right and, yes and, and, yes. and you saw that uh, you saw that before i think it's happening now so that is that i think is the key austrian insight yes that is very true yes well i'm glad you you picked that up roger that's great i mean yeah, I'm an Austrian and, you know, Raylene and uh, Raylene is a, a pretty, I would say she's pretty much an Austrian. I don't know if she's read some, I'm, I'm a big Murray Rothbard guy. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, I have read some Chicago uh, econ too, but I'm an Austrian totally. Yeah. We have never, you know, I don't think we've ever even talked about it. Really? I, I just think we just talk about, no, not really. We don't really talk much economics. I mean, we do sometimes, but more like we basically know that, you know. I feel like we just kind of know. That yeah. we know. Yeah. yeah. You you two don't you don't you don't have fights over, you know, what is the right monetary policy? That's not like an active dispute between the two of you? No. <laughs> no, not normally. Actually we talk about, you know, like yeah, whether like like uh, what do we normally argue about if we do argue? Uh, there's really we you know what? The two of us are really funny because I feel like I've known him my whole life, actually. Like that that's how it is. So it's always about He'll interrupt me and then because he thinks I have the wrong idea, but I don't. So that's one of the things we do. And then I will always clarify for optics on his end. So he'll say something and then I clarify it and put the pretty mayonnaise over the screen. So it makes it pretty. By the way, I'm just sitting here in my house and a deer just walked past my deck. I've got a bunch of hummingbirds, everything. This is the joy of living in Colorado. But, uh, so, yeah, well, well, we just had a homeless guy walk by and he had a syringe. <laughs> and uh, he looked, he looked. Okay, Johnny's right. My house is peaceful also and we have critters and, and things. But, but his place is um, uh, more of cultured. Yeah. More culture. It's a very cultured yeah. place. I love the it. mayonnaise on the screen. I'm I think very, it's supposed to be Vaseline. I'm very, I'm very, yeah. <laughs> bring out the Vaseline. We're very diverse. I live in a very diverse neighborhood. Oh my God, that's funny. Okay, one other thing, man, is I, I guess this is the ultimate question. What policy or position do you have that maybe some libertarians may say isn't very libertarian? Because everyone has one. Sure. Well, I think um, the... Uh, Uh, Well, the one thing I would point out is I am not an open borders person. 
Uh, and so I believe that we should have very generous legal uh, immigration. So, for example, uh, H1, you know, the H-1B visas for skilled uh, for skilled workers, um, those we should make pretty much available to whoever wants to come in. I think it's absolutely crazy, for example, that we train some of the best minds in the world at our universities, which are some of the best universities in the world, and then we chase people out afterwards. Something like 70% of all of the PhD students who are pursuing computer science in our country are foreigners. And then instead of welcoming them with open arms because, you know, they can add tremendous value to our society, tremendous value to our economy, we actually make it difficult. And make no mistake, you know, the Trump administration, which claims that it's only against illegal immigration, it is doing everything possible to make legal immigration difficult as well. So I think we need to welcome these people, just like, you know, just like a lot of other countries in the world are actually competing for these type of people. At the opposite end of the scale, we need to have a guest worker program like we used to have with Mexico. We used to have a program called Bracero that actually made it very easy for seasonal and temporary Mexican workers to come in because, again, we desperately need these people in agriculture. We need them in construction services. You know, you were saying before, Johnny, that, you know, the cost of building a house, well, one of the reasons it's so expensive to build a house is because we just have a shortage of workers, for example. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah. So, so I want to make it very easy. And actually, the reason we started having an illegal immigration problem with Mexico is that when we shut down the Bracero program and these guys who used to go over the border on a seasonal basis go back, you know, very fluidly, then had to, you know, to sneak in. And basically because they had snuck in and they didn't want to go back. So they were basically got stuck here because they, whereas before they were able to go back and forth over the border easily. Now they could not afford to do that. So that is one area where, you know, it depends on your definition of, of libertarianism, but I am not an open borders guy, but I do want to make it easy for people to work legally in this country. And if we make it easy for people to work legally, then a lot of the abuses that exist, as you know, you know, when you're an illegal person, whether you're a prostitute or whether you're a drug dealer or, you know, or whether you're an illegal immigrant, then, you know, you can be exploited by everyone because you have no recourse. If we make it easy for these people to have a legal status in this country, then a lot of that exploitation goes away. Okay, Roger, really quick, man. So we're going to wrap up this show. So give us your, sure. your little, your finale. Give us your finale. My, before we wrap this up. Well, you know, we don't have, uh, we only have video, so you can't really see me dancing, but, uh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> and take a, uh, and take a bow, and take a bow, Roger. A little Tony, Tony Danza. Tony, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, no, I would just say, you know, what we haven't done, basically my three campaign promises are, we talked about one of them, which is I want to make a federal government so small we don't fight over it. You know, the, the, the number one campaign promise is we've got to stop these wars. These wars are nuts. You know, these wars are not making us any more secure. They're making us less secure. Right. You know, they're, they're bankrupting the, the nation. And worst of all is they're just destroying our soldiers. You know, I, it just nauseates me. When I see everybody talking about our vets and, you know, how we have to take care of our vets, the most important thing we can do for our injured vets is to stop creating them. You know, we have to stop being the world's policeman. I believe in defending the country, but I'd be damned if I want to be the world's policeman. 
That's another key policy of mine. And then the last thing is I want to cut, you know, the federal government, I want to cut taxes. But the only real way to have a tax cut is that you must massively cut expenditures. We're just kidding ourselves when we cut taxes without cutting spending, because all we're doing is deferring taxes and we're deferring them onto the shoulders of our own children. So that is, again, one of my major, uh, one of my major promises is that, you know, I want to cut taxes. I want to shrink the government. But we, the only way to do that is that if we take a knife to spending. And we can do it. There's plenty of ways to do it. We can we can get rid of the Department of Education at the federal level. Period. That's eighty billion right there. There's no reason for it. You know, the Department of Energy gone. The Department of Commerce gone, etc. You know, it is possible to do these things. We just need to have the political will to do it. And one thing is for sure: the two old parties will never do it. That's true. And give us your dot coms, man. Uh- Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned before, so my uh, website is uh, www.barris, which is uh, B-A-R-R-I-S, the number four, congress.com. That has everything. And then basically that pattern uh, is followed on my Facebook page. And by the way, you know, for example, my Facebook page went basically from zero to almost 1,200 likes. Nice. In like- in like six weeks, great. you know, so, That's so great. we're making some, we're making some great progress. And then also I'm on Twitter, but really the best place to follow me is on Facebook. We got some great content. We got some great videos, uh, and, uh, and periodically I report on the various animals that go crawling past my deck as well. <laughs> Well, I really like in your website, it's it's beautifully formatted and, and really goes after the issues. It so does. Great job on that. Really good. Really good. I like yeah. the quick key points that you have there too. Made, yeah, made our questions that much easier, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, it's great. Well, that is that was built by a great libertarian uh, who, who for whom, if you, you allow a small plug, but it's Vinnie sure. Marshall. Sure. Vinnie Marshall. Uh, he, he, Vinnie Marshall. He's based. Uh, he's based up in Northern uh, California. He is. Uh, he is a solid libertarian. He actually uh, uh, co-curates a Being Libertarian website. Uh, and Vinnie did all that work. He also did some some great graphics for me. So I've got some great T-shirts, for example. Very cool. Very cool, man. Well, hey, Roger, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was fun, and I really like what you had to say. I mean, you you're bringing some pragmatic ideas, and I think. A step in liberty is a step in the right direction. It really is. Yeah. And so I, I really appreciate what you're doing and, and getting out there. And, you know, let's hope you win. I really do. I really hope you win and you get people thinking. I mean, this is how we win people's hearts and minds is by getting them to think. And if you don't win, you still won because you influence a lot of people in your campaign. And that's especially all- Seattle. Yeah. So, so we're hoping you get, you make some big changes. So we follow you as number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you guys, uh, you can't, you can't hope to be number one, but don't worry. We are leading the pack and you can follow right after us. You can, you can, uh, you can, you can slipstream. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to change it next year. We're, we're going to be number one next year. But hey, man, Roger, thank you very much for being here, man. And like I said, regardless, if you don't win the election, you're going to win a lot of people's hearts and minds. And I think that is more important than actually winning. Let's let's win. Sure, that's great. But I think the message of liberty and the message of libertarianism is is important. And that's how I think we're going to change culture is by 
talking to people about this stuff and actually making them think and not like have this knee jerk reaction to things like, you know, like, oh, we, ha- we, we have, we should ban all guns. You know, to me, I think everyone should own a tank if they have the money to afford one. That's how I view things. Uh, but you, by the way, how do you, how do you feel about that? Should there be, should we have RPGs and fully automatic For weapons? RPGs? Well, yeah. I think we, I think we can have RPGs here in Colorado. There, there you think, go. I, I agree. I think, I, th- I think where you guys are in Seattle, it's, you know, it's just way too dense. Okay. But, you, uh, you convinced me. I'm moving to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, Roger, thanks a lot. Anyways, anyways that's Roger Bears. Give it up.